Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo. I'm Tom Douglas. Happy to be here on this uh, beautiful weekend in June. Uh, we are coming to you from the Hot Stove Society Cooking School here in downtown Seattle, which is now back open for business, in-person business, instead of just uh, virtual. We're thrilled about that. We've got ourselves open out in Ballard at the uh, 52nd and 14th Northwest, the Serious Takeout Kitchen. And, of course, um, downtown here, we've combined three of our restaurants, the Seat Town, the Rub Shack, and the Etta's, uh, all into one down there in the north end of the Pike Place Market area. And Serious Pie downtown, getting ready for, uh, and, and Dahlia Baker, getting ready for a re- new reopening on uh, in the next week or two. So looking forward to that. So, hey, Sheppy, so nice to see you on the, on the video here. Good, good morning, Tom. Very exciting. Everything is breathing again, starting to get some air and being in, uh, back in life. Mm-hmm. It's very nice to see, and it feels good. Just keeps us very busy these days again. I like it. Um, I'm Thierry Rotterdam, the chef in a hat from Luke in Madison Valley and Lule downtown Seattle. Um, well, we open at Luke for dinner, 4.30 p.m. to 9 p.m., Tuesday through Saturday. We have a patio covered, and we have in- indoor at 50%. And uh, since we're getting close to 70% vaccination, I'm pretty sure pretty soon we're going to be open at 100%. There you go. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'm curious yep. how many of our workers will come back. You know, the big one of the biggest issues with our workers is we rely on women as much as men, if not more so, uh, is the makeup of our workforce. And so many people that have kids are struggling uh, because w- whether it was 25% or 50%, you know, child care has almost disappeared and gone up. What's left has gone up in price. And it's hard if you're only working at 50% wage uh, it's hard to make a living uh, and pay your mm-hmm. child care. So once we get open all the way, I'm curious if we'll see a few more p- folks show back up and try and get back into the workforce. We're sure hoping so. Uh, big show today, uh, Chef uh, Nat Stratton-Clark is here to tell us about his new Flora Bakehouse in Beacon Hill. Uh, it's rosé season, by golly, and our pal Michael Tier down at the Pike and Western Wine Shop. Uh, and some of you don't know, but our producer Pamela is related to Michael. Uh, they have been they have been hitched for about thirty seven years now. Uh, also, uh, there's a chef. You and I took some time to watch uh, the the Netflix series uh, High on the Hog. So we're going right. to dig into that. Pamela, did you have a a reason why you wanted us to watch that? Is there an, an ultimate goal other than just our own edification? Absolutely. Trying to untangle the web of racial inequity in America. (laughs) How did it get started? Yeah, you know. And as much as I think, God, I've 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 watched Roots. I don't. (laughs) But Roots was in the seventies. I don't think I've watched Roots since then. Uh, You know, it's like I just feel so stupid sometimes when I watch shows like that to be oblivious to such important things uh, that are happened around us. And um, I thank you for. having us watch that it's artichoke time i was out at our farm in prosser and picking fresh artichokes uh it's so fun to get them right when they bud because uh they don't have the choke yet and so what do you do with those those little tiny ones that don't have the choke and it's ooey gooey grilled cheese sandwich or croque monsieur we're going to talk about that and finally uh, a return (laughs) of the rub with love food for thought tasty trivia challenge uh, the 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 overwhelming, I mean, voice, harassment that harassment, I the voices of disdain towards our producer because she dropped <laughs> trivia last week. 
Yeah. It was unbearable. It was unbearable. We get so we get so many complaints. I think my phone has not stopped ringing. <laughs> oh, but we want to bring um, our Facebook Live listeners in to compete. To compete on trivia. Is they're going to take you guys down? Oh my God! Not a chance. <laughs> oh, chef, great. Yeah, not a chance. Oh, great. So uh, one person was not enough. Now you're going to get a thousand people uh, telling us the answer. Okay, our taste of the week, chef. I'm going to jump right in. You know, I've been trying all these different beverages for the Dahlia Bakery reopening, and uh, this time we're going to have maybe a dozen non-alcoholics. Before it was very paltry, maybe three or four or five, and. So I was tasting through, and I found a drink. I'm a big no-sugar person when it comes to right. those kind of drinks. I like tea, you know, all different kinds of flavor of cold tea. Uh, I'm not a soda water person generally, but uh, one of the beverages that came through our list of samples was called the Bitter Housewife. It's sparkling and complex. And what I really liked about it, it's zero calories, but it's also zero fillers. Like, there's no fake sugar. There's no, you know, it's mm-hmm. just soda water and bitters. And I wouldn't have thought, my friend Pamela has been drinking this for a million uh, moons, but I wouldn't have thought that that would be my drink. And after having one, I thought, I kind of like it. I, I kind of like what the, the bitters almost taste a little salty on the tongue. I think that might, yeah, might also be from the soda. But, um, I I drank every drop of this can, and I'm looking forward to having it and selling it so that I can pay for my own habit now. <laughs> <laughs> so after after 20 years of poo-pooing what you're drinking, Pam, you finally get to it he, and he gets realize it now. that was actually yeah. a great thing. His well, palate is growing up. <laughs> I, like that it's, uh, I like that it's simple, yes. I, you know, I, I can uh, mature too, you know. I, I'm... <laughs> We all do, believe me. Yeah. We all learn. We all eventually get around it. Um, my taste of the week is a, is a fennel salad. I made a, um, I had a big piece of ginger in my fridge that was hard, that was beautiful and fresh. And um, I took that, peeled it, and I julienned it very fine. And I macerated it into a mirin rice vinegar and um, a little bit of uh, sesame oil. And I marinated the ginger overnight in that. So when I came back the next day, that ginger was super pungent, super fresh, super bright. And I mixed that with the uh, sliced shaved fennel salad. Then I had um, added radishes too. And I added, um, from, and this is from the garden, obviously, the, the radishes from the garden. And um, some fried shallots. Mm. And uh, mixed the whole thing together. Let it sit on the counter and keep tossing it for about an hour. Mm. Oh, um, oh, I forgot to mention roasted red bell peppers. Mm-hmm. From, oh, that is my from, salad perfection. From Metropolitan Market, and uh, I got a, a, a bit of diced uh, roasted red pepper in a smoked, slightly smoked. Oh, that was so delicious. That mm-hmm. salad was a revelation. Lots of cilantro chopped at the end. So, cilantro ginger as the main flavor to finish in the background. Uh, the murin and the rice vinegar are the brightness and sweetness. And then the uh, radishes and the fennel and the, um, oh, it was just so delicious. Chef, don't you think uh, people are a little bit scared of ginger and don't use quite enough when they use it? Yeah, and I also think a lot of ginger. I think that people are afraid to eat the ginger. I think they they probably think about it as, oh, it's it's too hard or whatever. No, it's not. It's very tender. And especially if you buy it when it's fresh and hard, make sure it's not soft when you buy it make sure it's hard mm-hmm. and uh, if you macerate it it's like it's it's a no no problem yeah it's good delicious all right uh, up next cafe flora owner nat stratton clark talks about his new joint
Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society on Cairo Radio. Uh, I'm joined by my pal, the chef in the chapeau, Chef Terry Rotorow. Hi, buddy. We, oui, Tom. Always a pleasure being with you here every Friday. Have you gotten your vaccination yet? Are we going to see you soon here at the hot stove? I am so still... vaccinated. I don't even know what to do with myself. <laughs> okay. Yes, I am vaccinated. Okay. Look forward. And I'm actually vaccinated and old enough, too. What, nice. is that, what does that mean, Chef? In France, we we know we say, "Oh, is he old enough?" We say, "Yeah, he's old enough and vaccinated." <laughs> okay, whatever, whatever. Uh, that's the chef. <laughs> I'm Tom Douglas, and uh, we've invited uh, the Cafe Flora owner Nat Stratton Clark uh, to come talk about his new joint, the Flora Bakehouse. Uh, and uh, instead of me trying to figure out where it is and what it's what it's doing, we're going to talk to you about it. So, Nat, tell us about uh, Cafe Flora, one of the very first vegetable restaurants there's probably was something in the u district beforehand because those college neighborhoods they always get into veggie world and pamela you know our producer used to manage a veggie restaurant in massachusetts right or hartford connecticut hartford connecticut uh when was that pamela (laughs) in the glorious late 70s in the glorious late 70s (laughs) so anyway tell us about cafe flora how it's doing and then this new extension the the bakehouse you know, Cafe Floor, we are about to turn 30 in October. We're so excited. It's just a, a, an iconic restaurant that has been around for so long, and we've made it through the pandemic. We're so excited to be open. We're seating in our atrium. We're seating in the restaurant. We are open for breakfast, lunch, and dinner still seven days a week. And, you know, one of the things for us is we've got a great pastry program, and we always have. And we then opened Florette out at the airport in 2017, uh, right by gate A1, and and the response to that was incredible. It, it was just amazing, the number of people who were so excited just to get something delicious, something healthy at the airport. And very quickly, we grew out of that space. We realized that the demand for pastry was just so high that we started looking for another space to start baking because we had bakers working around the clock at the airport, and, and there still wasn't enough oven space. So we started looking, and we found just the sweetest building. It hadn't been used for almost 10 years, and it was right in between Cafe Flora and Florette, right on Beacon Hill, 1511 South Lucille. And we moved in and said, great, let's start. Let's just use this as our commissary space. And so quickly, we started meeting the neighbors. And they were just amazing. They were so excited. They kept coming by. When can we get, great, when can we get a cinnamon roll? When can we, are we going to, are you going to do coffee? And we were like, well, okay, yeah, sure, let's do it. And so we started <laughs> building out a cafe. And of course, we started building it out in December of 2019, started the work. And of course, then came March and construction stopped so we put everything on hold Um, and then we opened our doors finally to the cafe space in January and it's just the response has been incredible I mean we opened our door I was so nervous opening a space during the pandemic were people going to come and you know so we we opened up at 7 a.m. We're, we're people kind of streaming in. We're like, okay, great. And then probably about eight thirty, someone said, "Oh yeah, you know, it wasn't. It, the line looked really long, but it but it wasn't too bad." And so I stuck my head out, and the line was all the way down the block and around the corner. Mm. We had Yay. over a hundred <laughs> people in line waiting for pastries on day one, and it, it was just amazing. <sighs> it was incredible. The response from the neighbors. Good for you, and congratulations, because that's what every restaurateur wants to hear or wants to do. When you open something like this, especially in the condition we're in, or we were in, in a few months ago, and I mean that's congratulations, well deserved. Thank you, thank you, appreciate it. So uh, you are a vegan uh, bakery. So what what is your 
What's your go-to fat? So what is your go-to everything to kind of change the dynamic from away from butter? And are you gluten-free too? We are. So we're actually we're a vegetarian bakery. So we're oh, we, so you're not vegan. Okay. We're not vegan. We do some great vegan items. We also do some really fun gluten-free items. And for us, you know, I think there's some amazing recipes that happen to be gluten-free. Really use, using almond flour, using nuts, I think are a great great way to get some yeah. fantastic flavor within gluten-free baking and then for our vegan baking mm-hmm. you know there's there's so many different things coming mm-hmm. kind of on the market these days but we use a, a whole mix we use everything from earth balance to coconut oil i think there's some some really great ways to get some fats in there um that that work in baking and it i mean it is um it's an art form and our bakers are just tr- so talented lights out well, I just had a delicious little piece here. Uh, it's it's like a cheese Danish, but on top it has roasted radishes, asparagus, a little bit of grated cheese, and what else is on there? Just a little bit of Meyer lemon. Meyer lemon. There you go. I knew there was something there. Pamela, you're going to love this. This is uh, and it's and it's as beautiful as it is tasty. So. The airport. Let's go back to that for a second. Isn't that funny? You don't think of like a place like Cafe Flora showing up at the airport, but I thought that was a dynamic um, thought. I thought I thought it was a good idea on their part. Yeah, we. You know, we. I, I love to travel, and every time I was going through the airport, I was. You know, it was just a struggle to find something delicious to eat. And so we started talking with them. They were excited to bring in some local, uh, local businesses, local restaurants, and. We, we were the name that kept coming up for them. And the more I thought about it, the more it made sense. You know, you're about to get on an eight-hour flight. You want something delicious. It's also the first place that people come when they come to Seattle. And it's the last experience they have before they leave. And it should be fantastic. And it should be representative of all the great food that Seattle has to offer. And I'm so excited that we get to share that with the travelers that are coming yeah. through. Super cool. Terry, did your place uh, work out at the airport? Or are you still in that gig? Yeah. Yeah, we, we're still. Uh, well, right now, it's not quite open, but. Um, definitely within a few weeks, they're going to start on a low motion and uh, gradually, you know, as the, as business picks up at the airport, go into a full mode, probably by the end of this year. I don't, I don't, nobody actually really knows, but, you know, they're expecting definitely some higher, some higher volume to kick in through the next six months. So mm-hmm. we'll see. But uh, yes, no, definitely Lulu will be on, a, it's on Concourse B and uh, will be definitely opening eventually. Yeah, it's been an interesting time to be at the airport, for sure, over this last year. I mean, it really, we've, we've seen it go from, I mean, you could literally roll a tennis ball down the middle of the concourse and not hit a single person. Um, and, and now we're really starting to see travel come back, especially in the last three or four weeks. I know I have my first tickets uh, that I purchased uh, you know, I was probably a uh, five times a month flyer, and I have not flown since uh, February of 2019. Yeah. No, February 20. 2020. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. February 2020. Yeah, 2020. So yeah. I bought tickets to go see my mom. Maybe I'll take her some pastry. Nice. <laughs> yes. Bring her some. Uh, when we come back, you know, you're in the epicenter uh, up on uh, up in Madison Valley, and then some of the strongest emotional areas of seattle you know and pride is coming up and you have some special pastries for pride i know uh, pamela when she was leading our company as ceo was um very uh, thoughtful about pride and and made sure that we participated in all the best ways possible to uh, to appreciate mostly with our team with our teams yeah because uh, we have such a a wonderful gay population mm-hmm. and very diverse of, of all sorts yeah just completely diverse and and so I'm, I'm anxious to hear more about that 
uh, when we come back here on uh, the, the uh, Hot Stove Society show. Chef, are you going to hang with us or are you going to take off now? Oh, I, I'm, I'm definitely going to hang because I'm very curious to hear. Not talking about all those specials that he's doing. <laughs> no, exactly. And I'm, I'm actually excited to get down to the airport just to go to the bakery. Uh, we're at the Hot Stove Society. It's our show coming to you live on Cairo 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society. We kept Cafe Flora owner Nat Stratton-Clark with us for, for this overlying segment here. Uh, Pamela, you know, pride was a certainly super important. It is super important in our company. Restaurant populations are very diverse, and and we like to celebrate our team in a way that um, is important, you know, is that that honors the, the choice that people make, you know. So... Uh, uh, you've invited Mr. Stratton here, uh, Mr. Clark, I guess. What, which is it? Stratton Clark. Stratton Clark, okay. Uh, to talk about what he's been doing at his bakery for Pride Month. Yes. it's uh, Can't wait to hear. i got to keep it alive. Absolutely. You know, I mean, it was so sad. I think last year when Pride was canceled, it was so hard for, for, for so many. I mean, Pride is such a celebration. It's such a, a time for us to celebrate our community. And, you know, for me as a transgender restaurant owner, I think it's a, it's an important moment in our community to stand out and stand proud. And so this year, you know, there's some Pride activities going on. Some obviously have had to be canceled. So we're really excited at Flora Bakehouse to support two of my favorite organizations. We've got an amazing, just super cute, almost tie-dye tree cookie that supports Camp Ten Trees. And Camp Ten Trees is just an amazing camp here in the Pacific Northwest. It's a week for kids who identify as LGBTQ and a week for kids who come from families of LGBTQ parents. Mm. And and just what a special place to get to come and be your authentic self as a young person. Mm -hmm. I think so often you know, kids are in school. They're they they're the you know sometimes the only person. I mean, I when I was in high school, there were two out gay kids, and it was me and one other kid in my entire high school. And I think now, to have an experience like that would have been so important and so just just to get that strength and confidence to last you the whole year long. Mm-hmm. So we're excited to be supporting them with that cookie. We're selling it all month long, um, and then on Pride weekend, we've got a f- super fun and fantastic rainbow layer cake. Um, you can pre-order the rainbow cake on Talk starting on Monday, or we'll have slices in the bakery at Flora Bakehouse, and those slices will be supporting the Trans Justice Funding Project, which is an amazing organization that supports transgender-led small groups all over the country. It it's a, it's just takes the the work out of it, they bring six just phenomenal transgender activists from around the country to look through the grant applications and then fund over 200 incredible organizations that are trans-led and trans-focused. Mm-hmm. So, so interesting. Nice. You know, it's... Uh, uh, go ahead, Terry. Not... Uh, I know Pride is the whole month of June, right? But when is the actual weekend of uh, the parade and everything? It's the 26th and 27th of June. Oh, 26th, yeah. I was trying to remember. Is there a parade, cool. though? I was, there is not going to be yeah, a parade this year. So sadly, we'll have, a, we'll have another year without a parade. I know up on Broadway, they're going to be doing some Capitol Hill Pride events. And I know there's a lot of uh, great online uh, Pride events going on all over the world that people can participate in, which in a lot of ways makes it really accessible for folks all over the country who maybe don't live near a big city. But I know mm-hmm. Seattle is excited to get its parade back mm-hmm. next I'm year. I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure. We've had a float that, uh, before it ended for a few years, and... It, the energy pulsing down 
Fourth uh, Avenue. I oh, mean, I mean, it you, vibrates. It, the, it I vibrate. feel like the whole city vibrates out from those parade floats. It's just too much fun. You know, uh, so much of that was translated into the Women's March, too. I thought yeah. the, the, the energy for the Women's March was awesome, and uh, it was great. I remember chatting with one of our team uh, just a couple of weeks ago um, about when he came out. Because he said, uh, I, I asked him, and he said, well, when I was a freshman in high school, it's like, weren't you scared? Like, because I remember my high school was, you know, a bastion of men, you know, boys that wanted to be men on the football team and all that kind of stuff. And I said, weren't you scared? And, you know, of course, he was a, he's a big dude like me. And so he said, no, I could always take care of myself. Uh, you're not a big person. That must have been scary to come out in high school. Absolutely. You know, I think the... The nice thing to see now is just how much the culture's changed. I think that when I came out in high school, yeah, there was, it was me and one other person and, and it was terrifying, but it was also honestly eating me up inside not to, not to be my authentic self and to be able to share that with my friends, with my family. It, it, it was crippling almost to, to not be able to be my true self. And I think coming out, it, it really allowed me to, to blossom and, and get to be the person that I am today. And, and I, I was so thrilled to have amazing family and amazing friends who were supportive. And, you know, there, there are always going to be some people who are not. And what's great is to have those family and friends that are. And I think now we see, again, companies being supported. We see people in, the, in, in, in radio, in television, in movies. And, and you can watch TV and see somebody that looks like you. And mm-hmm. I think that's also really important. Super cool. And you're a super cool neighbor, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You guys, you guys live near each other and your businesses are right across the street from each other pretty much. Yeah. And we've, we've done things together and Nat is a super cool guy. Yeah. Very nice. It was uh, very nice to you know, meet you. I, I was a young man when I left home uh, of uh, 18, turned 19 on the road, and I got to Seattle, and I ended up in a restaurant on Capitol Hill called Boondocks, Sundeckers, and Green Thumbs uh, up on Broadway. <laughs> and I, I had been through high school, uh, Catholic high school, you know. I didn't even know what a gay person looked like. You know, that's kind of how I approached it, right? It was like, well, I asked a cook a friend of mine on the line who ended up um, – uh, we've been lifelong friends ever since, but uh, I asked him, so is that waiter gay? It's like, it's because I wanted to know what a gay, gay person looked like. You know, I was just that sheltered. And he said, yes. I said, really? I said, what about that guy over there? Is he gay? Uh, yes. And I said, really? He looks just like me. It's true. Gay people <laughs> look like everybody. I felt so stupid. Finally, he looked at me and he says, they're all gay. You get it? <laughs> that was the funniest. Out there. I'll never forget that little thing like that. Come to realization. It's, they're out there. Oh, my God. And sometimes to, to this day, when you hear people talk about the gay culture or something, you know, they honestly kind of act the same way. It's like, like they're somehow they're aliens or something. It's like, it's just a funny... I love the transition that we've made to having it just be normal. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's such a huge right. part of the restaurant community. Huge, and I think that huge. that's something oh, yeah, yeah. that I just think, I mean, again, you know, I think there, unfortunately for a long time, kitchens could be a really challenging place to work if you were different. Mm-hmm. And now kitchens, I think, are, are, are really growing, really evolving to be just such accepting and diverse places. And I think the gay community is a part of that as well. And, yeah. and it's, it's so exciting to see so many you know, young gay chefs coming up who are so creative and just bringing some amazing things to the food scene. Chef, I know mm-hmm. uh, you and I both uh, have transitioned uh, transitioned in the kitchen from uh, pretty much that. I, I wouldn't. I don't want to include you in that, but more of a macho culture to a much more inclusive. And Pamela was really important in our company of 
bringing that to the table in a funny way, uh, making us more aware of our own stupid selves sometimes of how we say what we say. Uh, Was that important for you? uh, Or did you always just feel that way? You've always seemed very thoughtful that way to me. For me, it's always been important because I was not treated correctly at the beginning of my career. Because you were French, you mean? (laughs) <laughs> no, no, because I was because I was an apprentice in France. Oh, I and see. There was that old tradition of like the chef being a complete bully and you know really mental and physical abuse at fourteen to sixteen years old. And you know, I, I you know I, I don't know what it's like to be gay and have to come out, but I can tell you that being fourteen years old, coming from a small town, going to a bigger town, and being raised from fourteen to sixteen into an environment where you're shaking all day long. Is not very healthy. Mm-hmm. And the only promise, besides wanting to kill that guy, which is very sad and I had those thoughts, um, my, uh, my other thought when I was down was I promise I would never do this to anybody because it does, doesn't feel good, man. It's right. like it just doesn't feel good. Yeah. And if it doesn't feel good to me, I'm sure it doesn't feel good to a lot of people. Yeah, I was so never a don't... yeller or a bully that way, but I certainly use verbally inappropriate sometimes and uh, stuff like right. that, but it, it has been just such an awakening over the last five, ten years to just be more aware of who I am and, who, and meeting people where they're at, you know. And that's that's was a big transition for me. Yeah, I, th- right. I think it's an amazing transition, and I think it, we just have to keep working at it because I think every kitchen yep. should be an accepting place, and everyone should be able to come to work as who they are each and every day. Mm-hmm. It's so important, and feel supported. And you're right, and feel supported. It's not over. Yeah, none of this fake nonsense. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, and you're right, Matt. It's not over, so we have to keep working at it. Indeed. Because, I mean, did you see this weekend on Moses Lake? There was a a couple of four people on a boat that... Did you see that arctic, that uh, that thing? I it's just crazy. I scanned over it. They were giving a gay uh, another boater with a gay pride flag a trouble, right. and then somehow right. their boat imploded. Yep, and the gays <laughs> came to the rescue. Up. And the gays and came, the to, the came to the rescue. They <laughs> came to the rescue. Exactly. I mean, it's like hello. That's it's to me. That's the narrative of the life. You know, it's like yeah, everybody is the same. It's like come on. All right, go see Matt at Cafe Flora and the new uh, Flora Bakehouse. And tell us again the address of the new bakehouse. The new Flora Bakehouse is at 1511 South Lucille Street. We're right by Cleveland High School on Beacon Hill. There you go. I want the cake. I want the, oh, rainbow, the rainbow cake. cake. I think I we've had it before. Yeah, I think come I, on down. Yeah. You've made that before. We right? have made yeah. it before. Yeah, we made it. We, we usually make it on Pride Weekend. So this, this Pride Weekend, come on down to the Flora Bakehouse. And, and soon enough, we're going to have our roof deck open, which has got fantastic views of Mount Rainier that will open at the beginning of July. And tell me, how many cakes are you going to make for this weekend? We're making over 50. Yeah. So. I Full better get my order in. <laughs> you better get your order in. <laughs> Pamela, I'll split one with you. Okay. I don't imagine we can each eat one. So up next, uh, Pamela's husband is going to be here, Michael Tier. That's how he's most known as Pamela's husband uh, from Pike and Western Wine Shop. And we're going to talk about rosé season here on the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Show. My name's Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotierold, the chef in the hat. And we are happy to welcome a longtime contributor, Mike Tier from Pike and Western Wine Shop there at the north end of the Pike Place Market, across the street, literally, from our, our restaurant group, Seatown, Rub Shack, and Etta's. And uh, Mike, welcome to the show, and happy rosé season. Thanks, Tom and Terry. Uh, yes, it is, it is rosé season. 
It's a little bit different one this year because things are arriving a little more slowly, but we have a good stock of them here in the store. And what what are your uh, specialties that you're looking for in your selection? Well, you know me. I tend to like to support small producers. Um, it's important to me uh, whenever possible to support wineries that, you know, grow the grapes, make the wine, kind of the old, the very old world style. It's always been a big part of what uh, we've been about here. But in rosés, I look for well, a wide range of things. They just have to taste delicious is the main thing. <laughs> Isn't that the point of every, all wine? All wine, yeah. Tastes you delicious. Like- and, well, you know, I've been drinking, Mike, I've been drinking a, a rosé called uh, Le Bec Fin from uh, Chateau Bec uh-huh. in uh, they're from Zilla, Washington. I'm not even sure where Zilla is. Do you know, Tom? Yes, I do. I drive by it every mm-hmm. week. It's well, just uh, east rose, of Yakima. Yeah, that rose is super delicious. Have you had it, um, Mikey? I, do, I, do, I don't know that one, no. No, I don't know that. Chateau, say the name again? It's Chateau Beck, but it's um, Le Beck Fin. Uh, the name of the winemaker owner is Jean-Claude Beck. B-E-C-K, Terry? B-E-C-K, yeah. yeah. And it's uh, chateaubeck.com. Is the winery? Okay, Mike. Yeah. Let's uh, let's go for our, our the ones that you sell at your shop. Let's go for our top three uh, rosés that people should be looking out for. And I'm going to preface it with uh, our annual favorite is um, is from the Bandal, right? Uh, but that's also sixty dollars a bottle. So let's stay in that twenty twenty five dollar bottle of range. Oh max. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no problem. And, and you know, as I said, many. If people have favorite rosés, they may not find them on the shelves yet because of. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the shipping delays all businesses are experiencing, mm-hmm. and the wine industry is no different. So um, don't be afraid to try something new if your favorite hasn't arrived yet because we have several that we have not seen. But right off the bat, I'm going to talk about uh, a family winery from, oh, guess where? Piedmont, my favorite <laughs> wine region in the world. And it's the GD Vira Rosabella. It's their 2020 vintage that just came out. It's a Nebbiolo-based uh, blend. They use a little bit of Barbera and Dolcetto. Uh, they grow all the gro- their own grapes. Uh, they're organically certified. Uh, one thing I really love about it, it's 12.5 alcohol, uh, which means you can drink more of it. It's really fresh and bright and crisp and just a perfect all-purpose rosé and a mere sixteen ninety nine a bottle. Lovely. And that's V-A-J-R-A, right? Yes, G, G period, D period, V-A-J-R-A, which is, I like to tell the story, their name is actually V-A-I-R-A, but somewhere along the line there was a misprint, and they just went with it. So <laughs> you might see the family name spelled differently if you look it up. Okay, <laughs> well, there's one, $16.99. Okay, my second one is uh, from what I think is the ancestral home of Rose Day, the Cote de Provence. Provence rosés are still wildly popular with my customers, and in general, if you look at the number of them imported into the United States. And this is uh, this one has a great story because it's an old uh, farm of about 110 acres that has been uh, organic for many, many years. The eighth generation uh, has taken it over now, and they make uh, a range of rosés like many people in Provence, they would just make one. And this is one called Recital, uh, named after their grandfather, who was a music critic for the French newspaper Le Figaro. 
It's a classic blend of Grenache, Syrah, and a little Carignan. It has that wonderful Provence, a little more rich character, beautiful fruit. It just you, the first sip kind of takes you to the sunny shores of the Mediterranean, and it's a, a very good value as Provence rosés go at twenty one ninety nine. Okay. Now we got two. And then the next one is uh, going to some good friends over in the Columbia Gorge. Uh, they've been making uh, rosé here in Washington for about 20 years. In fact, the 20 vintage, 2020 vintage is their 20th year. And that's uh, James and Poppy Mantone at Syncline Winery. Their new rosé just came out. Uh, it's a Merved Senso Grenache blend. Uh, they're influenced by the Provençal rosés. Uh, they make about 25 barrels of it, so I should know how many cases that is, but I don't. But it's not a lot of wine. It never lasts through the summer. Uh, and if you're looking for a crisp uh, a local rosé, it comes from two vineyards, McKinley Springs and Coyote Canyon. Uh, I think theirs is always one of our favorites, and that's right around $21 as well. I always love that uh, Syncline, the minerality of their wines. Uh, I'm not sure if they do something different, but... Uh, they they just uh, seem to have a certain texture about them that I really enjoy. Yeah, I think that's James, uh, or James and Poppy because they both share winemaking responsibilities. And they, if you look at a lot of their labels, their alcohols are, tend to be a little bit lower, uh, which kind of tones down the fruitiness, and maybe brings out that minerality. They're not super low, but they're instead of fourteen two, fourteen five, they might be thirteen seven, thirteen eight on their reds and the rosé is usually in the uh high 12s or low 13s okay mike i'm going to put you on the spot here you just mentioned three rosés and that if uh, any of our listeners uh, want to go down to your shop and buy uh two bottles of each so that's a six pack of rosés because you can never buy one bottle once you try one then you want to have the second one in reserve so you should you always can... have extra on yeah, yeah exactly yeah. so uh, what kind of deal are you going to give our radio show listeners here today. Well, if they were to come in and say they heard it on the radio show, uh, we have a a discount society called the Soul Wine Society. S-O-U-L? S-O-U-L. And uh, if they said they heard it on the show, I will give them a 15% discount off. Dude, you don't even give me a 15% discount. (laughs) Wait, 15%? You you don't need a 15% discount, huh? Oh, gosh, that is ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. Tom, you don't need that. That's true. Here's what (laughs) I would suggest. Uh, Here's what I would suggest is that uh, you go down. It's hard to park in the Pike Place Market, but go down on a weekday. And yes, get there early the in the morning. And um, what time does your shop open? 10 o'clock. Oh, banker's hours. Um, let's see. Yes, banker's hours. Get there early in the morning and have a little breakfast at uh, Le Panier or the Lowell's or the Athenian, and then head over to Mike's shop uh, at 10 o'clock. And, uh, and, and remember, when you go to a wine shop, I don't know about you, but I do know for sure it's not a five-minute thing. Even though you've pre-ordered and Mike has the boxes ready for you, there's no way you can go in that wine stop in that wine shop without shopping around and looking around. There's too many good gems in there. Exactly, exactly. Yes, our shelves are really as full of good gems as they've been in the past 18 months right now. And I'd just like to mention that for people that don't want to hassle with trying to park, you can order online. We have a, a website that has a lot of rosé on it, pikeandwestern.com. And uh, many of our customers these days order online now, too. Lovely. All right, thanks, Mike Tier of Pike and Western Wine Shop, north end of the Pike Place Market. Uh, we've got another whole thanks, hour Mike. for you. 
Uh, we have uh, all sorts of uh, deliciousness headed your way. Hopefully, you're in your garden and enjoying uh, the, the process and the uh, sunshine we've been having. Uh, it's Tom, Terry, and Pamela in the kitchen on Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to hour number two of the Hot Stove Society radio show. We've got a large second hour for you. I'm Chef Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. In this hour, we're going to talk about the new Netflix series, High on the Hog, How African-American Cuisine Transformed America. Uh, peak of the season artichokes right now. As a matter of fact, it's almost a week past. Uh, the ones that we've picked at our farm are, uh, are were good two weeks ago, all the way up until that this latest heat that we got we got to 104 at the farm a couple days ago and that's and that makes those artichokes want to burst wide open into flowers uh we have uh, grilled cheese or croque monsieur which is your which is your favorite uh and lastly we're going to pay play the uh, rub with love tasty trivia challenge um back to it after pamela decided last week that it wasn't important enough for us uh let's see (laughs) Uh, Pamela, you wanted to, you wanted or asked Chef Terry and I to uh, watch the High and the Hog, at least an episode of High and the Hog Netflix series. Tell us what you were thinking and what you wanted to get out of this. Well, the food press exploded with excitement about this documentary series, and I wanted to see what it was all about. The combination of the emotional and curious host, Stephen Satterfeld, with the woman who wrote the book by the same name, uh, culinary historian Jessica Harris, drags you in to the story of the influence that the Africans had on American cuisine Mm -hmm. and starts right in West Africa looking at the markets and the foods that were part of their culture and the translation when they got here as slaves and how they introduced it to their slave owners. Mm -hmm. Later in the series, it gets to, and I think you're going to like the episode, who they call their founding chefs, were the slave chefs to Washington and Jefferson, Hmm. and who get a lot. One of them was named Hercules. Oh, how appropriate. <laughs> and the Just other, like my grandson. <laughs> the other uh, was James Wanna Hemmings. Be. And the preparation over the wood fire of macaroni and cheese explains why it is the wonderful dish that everyone loves today. <laughs> <laughs> Chef Terry, what, did you, what are a couple of things that you took from watching the episode that you watched? I know you cut to the end. Uh, like uh, no 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 I I just I just watched there's four episodes in that series I watched the number four that's called that's cutting so to the far. end yes mm-hmm. well hmm, kind of I don't know that it was the end I think it was uh, another episode but it didn't feel like when they were done it didn't feel like I got enough so mm-hmm. they definitely better get back to work and give me some more <laughs> so a couple of takeaways I mean, for you takeaways for me was it went from um, the Plain or oh, the to me the most important part was all the ingredients they were using at first in that show in that ser- in that episode was a lot of the heart and the gizzard and the, um, the heart the kidneys the sweetbread the, you know and they were making stew with that uh, there is one of the dish that's made that way on the campfire or on or outdoor uh, that was really uh, reflecting the you know because the 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 slave owner would keep the big piece the best pieces for them and then. 
they would give the rest of the of the beast to the uh, slaves. Mm-hmm. So that's the kind of food that they had to prepare, and that's definitely reflecting that difference of um, classes and so on and so forth at the time. Um, but that was really, really uh, generously explained. That was really cool. Um, there was also the transition to the very uh, to, from that to the very fancy food than they also do. You know, there was a dish that was a grits made with. Um, me see, I wrote that down because it was uh, there was I saw the broken rice, reci- uh, rice, yeah, mm-hmm. grits, uh, rice for grits, and uh, they were they went to a restaurant called Gatlin's in uh, in Houston. The brisket, there is a, a moment where they're talking about brisket and they're showing you all this dish. He's holding the piece of brisket, a slice of brisket in his hand, and he's bending it a little bit to show you the the flexibility when it's done and all that. Mm-hmm. I had dinner before the show. <laughs> I was about to jump on the TV screen and grab that piece of brisket. Oh, delicious. <laughs> I mean, so moist and everything. I mean, anyway, so they go through all those different things. Nothing um, really surprised me too much into the dishes I saw. But, the you know, one of them was the, the, uh, to finish the conversation on the rice for grits um, was used and then topped with a 60-degree egg and a little dollop of caviar. And and the, the rice is cooked in a... Um, tamarind kind of uh, broth mm-hmm. and I was like oh my god you know and, and, and shellfish too shrimp uh, stock and I was like that is totally and it was you know it looks kind of fancy obviously with caviar on top of an egg that is very much up to today but the flavor I could definitely uh, taste you know just by looking at that I could taste the flavor I was like this is really cool this like is a the, very nice delicious dish you mean like taste the history of the flavor kind of like in, in your the mind history, yeah and the, uh, it's actually a mix between history and past history and today's uh, appointment. You know, it's kind of like what we do, you and I, is to try to, you know, bring things up to date. And I, and I felt that was really much carry on on that, on that part. So right. um, very, very nice show. I recommend it for anybody who is into culture and into cooking. I watched one episode, the, the first episode, to kind of, you know, get started down the road. And uh, I was... Uh, put off a little bit this the the whole slave thing is so traumatic to me it's so disheartening and gory and gross and even though they they kind of kept it on the not not the downloads the wrong word they didn't get into that gore like you got in roots and where you know you actually saw people live actors chained up on boats and things like that um, still the transition i i struggled with the transition from the story of slavery to all of a sudden sitting around the dinner table and eating some of the slave foods. And I know that, Pamela, you said that I'll get over that maybe in the second and the third episode. I think you will, because they, um, the, the point um, that Satterfield is trying to make is uh, taking control of that story and bringing the link together, because we've erased it from American history books, mm-hmm. like Terry said before the show, this experience is not talked about right. in schools because we don't know how to tell the story mm-hmm. uh right. and, and going in through the lens of food helps us understand but he it's why, a commonality right everyone yeah. eats right everyone farms and so that link well, will become so, more clear in the other episodes mm-hmm. yeah i think i think that uh, i don't normally start by the last episode of a series but i was just trying to pick one and i'm like well let's pick the last one because I know that someone is going to pick some other series so we can talk about it. But, yes, I'm, I'm with you, Pam. I think that uh, it is a very 
badly needed to bring this into the education program we have in this country to be able to tell the story and bring people up to date to how it actually unveiled and how it has progressed and how it has moved to today and why there is still room for improvement. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely made me want to get out on the airplane and go to Benin's uh, Dantoka uh, marketplace. I oh my go god, that, that was market. so organic. I love the fact that they were selling uh, yams right next to ladies' underwear. It was it was just <laughs> <laughs> so crazy. Um, these open air markets, and you you know that a little bit from France, Terry, where that you know the oh, yeah, the yeah, sundries yeah. come right next, and the the dry goods come right next to the live animals. And stay with us. It's the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo Radio, ninety-seven three FM. Well, it's time for Peak of the Season Artichokes here on the Hot Stove Society Radio Show. Uh, I'm Chef Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Roturo, the chef in the hat. And Chef, I was out at our farm in Prosser, uh, and Jackie doesn't often ask me to do things like um, the farm part of things. Like I get my uh-huh. to-do list, like I need this irrigation fixed, or I need the shed, I, the you know, the... The roof has got a hole in it on the shed. Or the latest one was we have a nest of black widow spiders that I had to go in and get rid of. I, oh, nice. I was on the wasp patrol the last time I was over there. And our cleaning, our, our pool cleaning broke down because my mother-in-law, who's in charge of pool cleaning, uh, broke down and is lying in bed with a herniated disc. And so I had to take on the pool cleaning, and I had to learn all about it. I didn't really know much about pool cleaning and I went to Jerry's Pool and Spa in Sunnyside, Washington, and got a quick primer course on pool cleaning. But uh, I, getting back to my point is she asked me to pick some artichokes. And we it's the same artichokes that the neighbor's cattle had stomped uh, the week prior when I had to round them up with our John Deere gator uh, and get them back over the fence. Um, the same artichoke row that had the big cow pies in it, I now got to go through and pick fresh artichokes. Uh, but wait, what, wait, a few, wait a few more weeks and you'll be able to do cow pie throwing. Have you ever done that? Oh, thank you. Uh, anyway, so what I loved about these artichokes is that they were still kind of the first peak of the season and, and we had to get them then because now they've they've blossomed out of it before they got the choke and that's my favorite artichoke to use because i don't feel like it's so wasteful sometimes when you get a big artichoke like it's a pound artichoke and by the time you get done paring it down and getting it to a point of what you can eat you've got three ounces left and it's so right. it's so much time and it's so hard so let's talk about baby artichokes uh and uh they're a thistle, right? They're from the thistle family. And uh, Pamela, you know artichokes and how they bloom into these purple little bombs. Uh, what's your favorite part of the artichoke, or the little baby artichokes? I like the whole thing fried. 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 They remember Lulu in San Francisco? Sure. They did that fritti, yeah. mm-hmm. that beautiful mixed fritti dish. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And then, of course, we get to have our homemade aioli. So Right. And I will tell you, that's not the whole thing, right? Uh, typically, um, they, they, you trim the top off. Maybe if, if a baby artichoke is, let's say, three inches tall, you're going to trim uh, uh, close to an inch off the top. You're going to leave the whole stem, but just trim the very bottom of it. And then you're going to take off probably one layer of outer leaves oh. and then cut them in half and then cut them in quarters and then cut them in eighths from there. And that free tea that you're talking about is simply that artichoke that's been acidulated, right, lemon water, it's been soaked in that, and then you simply just dredge them in semolina flour and fry them, and mm. they are done. Mm. 
So, Chef, have you ever done that with the baby artichokes? You can just eat a pile uh, of them. Yeah, I just don't put them in flour. I just I like to confit them, cook slowly in olive oil, uh, lemon verbena, uh, you know, some of those herbs that are pungent, bay leaf, and then, you know, cook them very, very slowly until they're tender, but not tender like soft, just tender with a little crush to it. And then they leave them in there. And then when I need them, I take them out of there and make a salad with it and put them into a salad by either cutting. They're already cut in half. I can cut them in quarter for a salad and add them with hot boiled egg, anchovies, uh, you know, things like this. And, man, it makes a delicious salad. Mm-hmm. Great lettuce from the garden. You go pick up a few leaves, some, some uh, nice niçoise olive. Oh, you can make such a delicious beautiful stuff with that well and, uh, and they if, really are the essence of seasonality right because the little baby yeah. ones are the first starts of the year and they only get picked at a certain time i'm sure you can find them like if you're willing to pay you can find anything but from what's generally in the marketplace and what we can grow at our farm uh those artichokes are done now for the year because it's just too hot over there it got to 105 this week and it's just too hot they're just going to bolt and go crazy and become thistle flowers but on this side of the of the mountain, it's still coming up. It's still they're still not fully ripe. So you still have a couple of more weeks on this side of the mountain. So mm-hmm. um, I've seen. I just recently saw a neighbor who has some, and uh, I was like, "Good, let's get another week or two, and then boom, we get a, we get the artichoke." And uh, another thing is when you pick your artichoke, if you have the luck to pick your artichoke, uh, if you let them grow a little bit longer, you know, don't forget to to keep some of the stem because the stem is delicious. You know, when you when you cut the stem about four or five inches down, that part is really delicious. Yeah, it's good. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's, it feels very stringy, but it does tenderize. And if it when they're, they're cooked, you can pull the strings out. Yeah. And you can you can peel it before blanching it or poaching it or whatever you're going to do with it or roasting it, too. You can also take the stem and, and roast the stem. Um, that makes delicious meat. You know, it's delicious food. It's just really good. You know, artichokes, like uh, other thistle family products uh, or plants, uh, have a tannic quality about them. It's why they don't always Mm -hmm. go great with wine, right? Uh, Pamela, uh, when you did your first class here at the hot stove a couple of weeks ago, you got, uh, you know, um, cardoons are part of that artichoke family of plants. And uh, we have a liqueur called cardamaro. And it's a Carter Dune uh, Amaro, basically. It's and uh, what did you do with this? And the, the only real artichoke liqueur I can think of is like Cinar, right? Uh, right. Cinar, I think it's called uh, C Y N A R. Cinar. What did you do with this to make a nice little uh, beginning to a meal? The guests were blown away by the combination of that. It's an Amaro base, so distilled bitters. And we blended it with lime and a very pungent ginger ale. And it had a, a savory, lively character that, ever, that people hadn't experienced before. Because uh-huh. it's very earthy, almost nutmeggy herbal. Uh-huh. Um, so and, and bitter. And bitter. That I mean, I think we're going to do some shows on bitterness. Now well, that. I would say it's such a fun thing that if yeah. you, uh, it is artichoke season, and if you have more than you need, or if you want to utilize some of the outer leaves of the artichoke, you can make your own amaro. You just look, true, look up right? a recipe online, and it's it's really fun. Go ahead, chef. Amaro means amer or bitter, so it's a very anything that's bitter can be used for that. But you're right; the artichoke is a great, great bitter. Uh, base for sure and uh, what i was going to say was you can also um, use those bitter 
but you can also make sauce with them. And bitter in America is something that's fairly new as far as I'm concerned in terms of profile of flavor in the food. Mm-hmm. I think more and more people are getting slowly but surely into it. So I'm very excited about that because I'm, I'm a big fan of bitter. So I love it. So this liqueur is called Cardamaro, C-A-R-D-A-M-A-R-O, Cardamaro. I don't know where you're going to find it because uh, you don't see it very often. I do have, I might, I might have six stores. bottles or something like that. But uh, uh, it, is, um, it is one of those things that I ended up with at the end of, or at the beginning of the pandemic. It's like, what am I going to do with a dozen bottles of Cardamaro? And as soon as we started playing with it, uh, we get that bitterness and the tannic from the cardoons and from the artichoke and uh, that it is a lovely little product if you ever want to kind of play around. I, I want to make my own Amaro. All right, let's do it. You know, we had those uh, the, those uh, two women in that made the Americana. Um, yeah, uh, Americano. Americano. Uh, Amaro. Uh, that was delicious too. They're they're having they have a class on Monday uh, where we're going to make more cocktails with them. Oh, great! In person or virtual? In person. In person. There you go. Are there any spaces That's left? That's very cool. Yep, I think so. Okay. I think we're at about nine, and we're taking 12 people for in-person. All right, so if you want to learn how to make um, Amaro, you can come have a class here at Hot Stove on Mondays. Quick turnaround, but uh, Pam will ha- be happy to set you up. Happy to see you. Okay. Now, Terry, something right up both of our alleys, our favorite ways to dress up hot cheese sandwiches. You, sir, are going to take on the croque monsieur <laughs> and croque madame. I am going to take on the plain old American grilled cheese. Are I'm, you sure? Because I, cro- I croaked you, on my croque. You one. choked on your croak. <laughs> choked on your croak. I wasn't going to say it, but you brought it up. It's the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM. And we're back. It's the Hot Stove Society kitchen show on uh, Cairo Radio. Uh, Chef Terry, uh, grilled cheese. Uh, you want to tell a quick story about your, your choking on your croak, and then we'll just put that to bed. We never have to speak of this again. <laughs> but I do have to tell it once again. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on Top Chef Master Season 4, uh, did seven episodes, and on episode number seven, the theme was branch when you're drunk, like hangover drunk, uh, branch by the pool. In, uh, and... Uh, I decided to do croque monsieur. Actually, I wanted to do croque madame originally, and then I realized, wait a minute, we're feeding 250 people. That's going to be a really hard one to do 250 poached eggs on top of a sandwich just for brunch to be able to pull that off. Mm-hmm. Um, so I decided to do just croque monsieur, and um, um, I, I announced it as croque madame, which right away Ooh. put me in the uh, wrong yeah. section. Mm-hmm. So basically, I choked on my croque, as you've said many times, and... Um, you know, been put to shame ever since. And got uh, booted from the show, right? Got booted from the show because of that, yes. You ever called Tom Calicchio and say, dude, I told you I just made a mistake. Why didn't you cut me some slack? <laughs> or Padma. Padma's been on the show. Remember we had her on to talk about her yeah. cookbook. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I both of them, are, I mean, Tom has been a friend for like 30-some years, mm-hmm. but that doesn't matter. That's not. That wasn't the context of the of the show. And on Top Chef Master, he wasn't the one judging. It was other people, so... Um, it doesn't matter. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's just the way those. Okay, so work, then um, let's stay on topic, and then let's talk about making your version of a croque monsieur, and uh, what kind of ham and cheese that you like to use, and and uh, the process of getting it nice and little brown and crunchy on the outside, and still melty on the inside. So for me, uh, what makes a good croque monsieur or croque madame? Croque madame, you just add a, uh, a sunny side up egg on top of your 
um, sandwich. So that's not, uh, it's just, that's the only difference. But the croque monsieur for me, what makes a good croque monsieur is number one, good, good, decent bread. You know, I don't want, I don't want a, a bread that's going to be so hard to eat that you can eat the sandwich. But I definitely, the white bread is a little bit too sweet for me. I'm not a big fan of that flavor. So, so I like to go with something a little bit more uh, dark, like buckwheat, we mix with wheat. So you have a little bit more of a healthy, um, earthy um, kind of bread. Okay. Obviously, the bread needs to be um, covered with butter and then fried. Uh, not fried, um, um, seared, basically. So then you put it in a, in a pan and you cook it on both sides. So the, the bread swallows the butter, but also becomes uh, kind of crusty on both sides with a beautiful golden brown kind of um, coloring. Okay, I have to stop now, you there because you didn't dip in an egg wash, and I thought you were supposed to. Hold on, hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just talking about how you make bread crusty right now. I'm not talking about finishing my sandwich. Hold okay, on. Okay, okay. I'm putting the horse before the, the carriage right. before the horse. All right. So for for a croque monsieur, obviously you're not cooking the bread separately and then making the sandwich. You're Sounds like putting you did. Together at once. I was explaining how you get crispy bread with butter. Um, so bread. Butter, cheese. So cheese is important. What kind of cheese do you put? Um, I'm I'm a big fan of putting something between Gruyere and Swiss in my in my um, in my uh, sandwich. I'm also a big fan of grating the cheese because it helps melting the cheese more evenly and also to melt it. I'm a big fan of having the cheese kind of like in a cheeseburger. I like when the cheese is melted. If that makes any sense. After that, good ham either. Ham, or some people put bacon. Um, just a good ham to me is is delicious enough to do that. A little bit of bechamel, and uh, the same thing on the other side: a piece of bread that's buttered and a piece of cheese. And you put the whole thing together, and you squeeze tight, and you put it onto into a pan, with and your bread's gonna nice become nice and crisp. You do it on one side, you flip it on the other side, and then I like to put that pan in the oven. 400 degree oven, put the bread in there, and it's gonna. What it's gonna do is the heat from the oven is gonna help melt everything, warm everything perfectly, and still color the bottom part of the bread. So when it comes out, it's like this gooey, crispy kind of sandwich. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I forgot to mention: on top of the butter, Dijon mustard, very important on both sides of very the bread. Very important on both both slices of the bread, because that will bring. The, uh, that will cut through that richness of that sandwich because ham, cheese, and uh, bechamel, uh, it's nice, but it's a fairly um, rich profile, mm-hmm. you know, pretty neutral. By putting that Dijon mustard in there, you just go and bring it another step up and give that brightness that the sandwich needs. If you're, if you're worried you, about the cheese melting, I don't know why you just don't use Kraft American singles. That's, I told you why. Because <laughs> I want to use Gruyere or... <laughs> we want real food. I want to use... I want to use, a, first of all, real cheese with real flavor. <laughs> Sorry, Kraft didn't make the cut on my sandwich. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, a for idea, a regular though. grilled cheese. So I'm still, you know, I haven't made a croque monsieur since I worked at Boondocks on Broadway in 1979. And so I had always envisioned in my head that I egg washed those at Boondocks. Is that true or not true? Like yes, you- there are diff- there are people who make the sandwich just like I, I said it, you know, butter on both mm-hmm, sides, mm-hmm. and then they dip the whole thing into like French toast, egg wash. 
Yeah, I don't do that. You don't do that. I'm okay. not a big fan of that because it's not, to me, it's an extra step that, first of all, is not necessary. It's, I'm not making French toast. I'm making croque monsieur. And croque monsieur, to me, does not have that egg wash around. Sounds it. very French. It is very French. It sounds like toast. Say croque monsieur. <laughs> sounds like French and it sounds to- like toast. I'm not sure. Okay, on a regular, on a, 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 my side of the aisle, American style grilled cheese. I'm very similar to yours, except for the bechamel, right? Although it would be delicious. I um, probably wouldn't go to the whole wheat bread like you did, but I, I would definitely experiment with uh, sourdoughs and uh, maybe some brioches if you want something super soft. Uh, um, and certainly I would not go to a, a cheap white bread, like a Wonder Bread or something. Yeah. That is not, I would never stoop that low. But those, you know, these country loaves, like the Cuomo, Cuomo loaf from uh, Grand Central, Oh, or that's exactly a big country what I use. loaf, yeah, from uh, from Macrina would all be nice. And then the uh, for the inside, I I agree with you on grating the cheese. It just melts more evenly. And so when I I use right. Beecher's flagship uh, all the time for this, and um, there's a flag sheep also, and I find that it's a really nice alternative to the cow's milk cheese because it's more pungent. You can actually mm-hmm. really get a sense of the flavor so it's instead of flagship it's called flag sheep s-h-e-e-p and uh, i love that cheese and grate it put it on uh, and if i'm just doing a grilled cheese i'm just buttering the bread on the outside putting the cheese in the center and popping it in onto the griddle so if i'm adding other things i don't like using things like prosciutto if i'm going to use ham i'm going to use more like the boiled french ham or the deli ham or even like Hempler's uh, ham, right, but right. prosciutto and stuff—it's uh, uh, it is um, cured so strongly, so hardly that uh, to me it gets stringy and gross when you heat it up. You agree? Well, especially, yeah. It, I, I'm I'm 100 with you. It's not the kind of ham that I like to have warmed up because it definitely has a different flavor. And like you explained, but from the cure, it's definitely changing the flavor and, and the texture. It's also not a it's also not a, a, a texture I'm looking for because it's. When you're eating that sandwich, if you have that stringy prosciutto coming out of the mm-hmm. sandwich, you're gonna be you're gonna be gooey everywhere yeah, on exactly. your clothes. <laughs> okay, now let's turn this into a melt. So now um, I'm not a big like you see tuna melts all over the place. It's a classic American diner sandwich. I am not a fan of warm tuna fish salad, warm mayonnaise, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm I'm gonna just take that out of my repertoire. What I am a fan of is taking. A fatty, you know, we got butter on both sides and lots of it. We got cheese in the middle. This is a fatty sandwich. So I like breaking it up and I'll take broccoli rob, which is nice and bitter, and I'll cook it down with chilies and some garlic and some onion. And uh, I'll add the broccoli rob to the center of that grilled cheese. Uh, and then I, I, when I bite into it, I feel like I'm having, I'm at a spa. I'm having a grilled yeah. cheese sandwich from an Italian here we, here we spa. Go. It's exactly the first thing your dietitian would recommend is a nice high on calories sandwich. <laughs> so uh, that's my idea of spa food is add broccoli rob to a grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah, and, and this time of year, you know, all those fresh peas, the, the uh, uh, fennel are all coming into season and they're nice and tender and delicious. Those are great vegetables. You shave them and you put them on your on your sandwich mm-hmm. in between the, the two cheese layer, it's absolutely delicious, absolutely. Also, don't forget, you have fresh beans that are coming in season. I am not Put putting beans, beans on my no. sandwich, chef. Go stop, away. Stop. Go, let me go, finish. Go, go away. Let me finish. Fresh peas, pureed, 
in and almost like a hummus kind of idea on your cheese. Also very delicious with your vegetables. Pureed beans. You're saying peas. Yes. Oh peas. Pureed peas and beans, or either one, or with fresh peas and fennel. Here, here's what I have to say about that after listening to that nonsense. I hope you lose at trivia today. Uh, My partner, (laughs) Chef Eric Tanaka, is going to join us as our third on the Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge brought to you by Rub With Love when we come back on the Hot Stove Society Show 97.3 FM. Welcome back, everybody. It's Chef Tom Douglas. And Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. It's time for Rub with Love Tasty Trivia. Rub with Love is our, our spice rubs and blends that are made in small batches. They're versatile. We also make sauces and mustards that bring in an extra layer of flavor to just about any meal. Look for them in your local grocery store or specialty shops. Or you can find them online at Tom Douglas or a myriad of other online shops, including my buddy Stan. Uh, we're going to invite our, my partner, Eric Tanaka, in on the uh, Tasty Trivia Challenge. Pamela, you were roundly shamed last week for leaving it out of the show. Yes, I was. And uh, I'm, I'm thrilled that you listened to the populace and have brought it back this Well, week. you know who was the most upset? Our beloved pie crust maker, Carol. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> she said I broke her heart. And oh. that, that brought me a tear. <laughs> And I, I can't say no to her, so it's back. Okay, it's back. It's easy to say no to Tom, but not Carol. <laughs> I know, exactly. Okay, who's our winner, and how do we play the game? Our winner is Annie Robbins. She was very excited um, to support all Northwest products, so she deserves some rub. And the game is played by each contestant getting five questions, the loser uh, with the lowest amount right has to pay for the shipping to Annie Robbins. And uh, Does Eric have any money with him? Chef Eric, uh, it has been averaging over $7 to ship uh, this rub prize. So. I, I didn't know this when we started this Oh, process. I didn't I tell him. I think I'm done. <laughs> you know what? Charge it to the company. <laughs> Where's the transparency in this show? Terry's starting. All right, Terry, let's get yep, rolling here. I stopped. What is the common name for the edible thistle? The common name, uh, like artichoke? Yes. <laughs> Way to be on top of it, Chef. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm like, what is, what is she asking? It's kind of a strange question because it's not the only thistle. That's true. There are so two, two a, others in the family. The scientific um, name for vitamin C is ascorbic acid. It is sold for home use to do what? In the 60s, everyone wanted to do a little acid. Yeah, um, I would say I would say disinfecting. They do use it for that, but primarily to prevent the browning of vegetables and fruits. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> Why didn't I say that? Number three. Should we give it to him? No, no, no. no. Let me think about it for no. a second. No. Yes. <laughs> what? No, is, no. That's a no. What is the Spanish term for dried salt cod? Bacala. Yes. The leavener uh, baking powder is a combination mm-hmm. of three components. Can you name one of the three uh, extra points if you can get all three? Is sodium nitrate one of them? Is that baking soda? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but I mean, isn't it? It says Wait. it's a combination of baking soda, an acid, and a moisture absorber. So that would be no, Chef. You got that wrong. 
Oh, well, I guess not again. We'll move on to number five. What is a ballantine? A ballantine is a, um, let me see, ground, no, not necessarily ground. It's a wrapped uh, dish, meat, and it's baked in the oven in a little liquid. What is it wrapped in, chef? The skin. We'll take it. Yes. (laughs) Three correct. On to Mr. Tanaka. Beefalo is a cross between what two animals? How about a cow and a water buffalo? Yes. Sesame seed. A water buffalo? Bison. Bison, that's not a water Uh, buffalo. You don't think it counts? No. What kind of answer is that? Sesame seeds were brought to America by African slaves. What did they call them? Bene. Yes. That's so funny. Nice. Bivalves are soft-bodied mollusks. Name two bivalves. <laughs> bivalves. Soft-bodied. They've got that strong muscle. How about a gooey duck and a clam? Yes. A gooey duck is a clam. I'm just going to say that. Gooey, I was going to say a gooey <laughs> duck is a clam. <laughs> Yes. What is the most widely used vegetable in bean paste? Bean paste? Uh, How about a soybean? Yes! (laughs) 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 What is botarga? Uh, Roe. Dried roe. What culture do do we get it from? Uh, How about uh, Italy? Yes. Five out of five! (laughs) I think a four out of five. He is four. Tom wasn't going with the water buffalo. He thought it was a cow and mozzarella mix. (laughs) He's got got half of it, so it's four and a half. Jeez. Good for you. Mr. Douglas, what is the beneficial mold that develops on grapes, causing them to shrivel? Oh, that is a deep question. Deep. Let me start with my A- Boitritis. Yes. yes. <laughs> what is boudin blanc and name some ingredients? Boudin, boudin blanc is a white sausage, oftentimes made with veal or pork. Are you going to give it to him, Terry? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes. What is the Italian term for hunter-style dishes that contain mushrooms, onions, and tomatoes? And peppers a lot of times, too. Mm, does you do you think you no. know the answer? Uh, 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 <laughs> Cacciatore. Cacciatore. What is flummery? Hmm. Well, if you've ever picked up a goose and lifted its tail and see all that little furry <laughs> stuff, <laughs> like the down part, that's what flummery. I thought it was is. right next to uh, Tom. I thought it was right next to the infirmary. <laughs> I am flummoxed by your flummery question. It is a sweet, soft pudding made of stewed fruit. Thickened with cornstarch. Well, there's a good reason I didn't know that, because I hate stewed fruit, as Chef Terry knows. And finishing up... If you ever bring your flummery around here again... (laughs) Put your vegetarian hat on. Okay. Uh, What is Satan? S-E-I-T-A-N. It's Satan's brother who's a vegetarian. (laughs) Eric, do you want to give him any help? 
I would say it's a wheat product. It's a wheat product, and it's used to, uh, and it's very protein rich and yeah, used in a lot of vegetarian dishes. You can buy it in cans at Fred Meyer. Uh, My mother in law loves it. <laughs> she does. <laughs> It's like little gluten bombs. Eric Tanaka is the winner. Thanks for going easy, guys. Chef Terry is going to have to pay for shipping. Chef, I'll get you the bill for that. Don't you worry about it. No problem. If you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on Facebook Live at Hot Stove Society Show on Friday mornings. Or just listen in your gardens or in your car or wherever else on terrestrial radio. Uh, you're listening to us on Cairo 97.3 FM. The show is produced by Pamela Hinckley, uh, technician Sean McFadden, and our editor is Sean Don't Call Me Del Torre. And remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on 97.3 FM, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and have a fabulous weekend.